Colossians uh, chapter 3 is where we're going to be at, but if you want to just be in the front of the book of Colossians, kind of give a little summary, I'm going to look at a few messages from Colossians over the next uh, few months as I have opportunity to preach and uh, look at a few things here. Colossians 3 is where we'll be at, but I want to take a note and look at the beginning of the book in a second. Colossians uh, is a fascinating book. It's uh, probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament and uh, just one that I was, have been able to go through a number of times and an opportunity to look at just a fascinating study in God's Word here. Many Christians sometimes, uh, and, or some Christians or people that would claim to be Christians, uh, after the passing of time, their faith lose it, loses its attractiveness. Sometimes their initial enthusiasm for Christ fades away. Sometimes they think that following Christ just becomes a list of rules and legalism and trying to do these things to perform. And some, at some point, some that are Christians or even claim to be Christians, they start to see other things that may be more attractive, more interesting, more fascinating somehow connected to the Bible, but not actually Christ. Some will actually look at maybe a book that says 20 minutes in hell or 90 minutes in heaven, or they'll learn about visions or tongues or things that would meet their needs and their feelings. Things that really would give them an experience that they want. And suddenly their life becomes their relationship with Christ is nil, but their experience and their feelings are chief over all things. Sometimes they'll elevate certain days, certain knowledge, maybe a special emphasis on something, and they wind up actually falling away from Christ or they don't actually know Christ and they didn't know Him. And instead of resting in Jesus, they rest on many other things apart from the God. And that is really what Paul is combating in Colossians. Combating Gnosticism, which was this special knowledge and following certain rules and things. And so Paul writes this book of Colossians to combat that and say, no, all those things are not where it's at. What is most important and what is most critical is Christ. And he emphasizes throughout the book the preeminence of Christ. And if you looked in Colossians 1, he gives thanks for the people. He emphasizes Christ and, and his, their understanding and their faith. He's so thankful for what Christ has done in them. Then as he moves into chapter 1, verse 15 and and following, he continues to say that Christ is preeminent. He's Lord over all things. He's the firstborn of all creation. He holds all things together. It's by the word of Christ that he created all things. And really, he puts this foundation of Jesus in front of this church in Colossae. And they're supposed to look and see how magnificent Jesus is Instead of all these worldly teachings or all these false knowledge or these visions that people would proclaim. Paul goes on in the end of chapter one and talks about his ministry and how the foundation of his ministry and everything he is doing is so that people would be coming to full maturity in Jesus. Not so that they know all these strange things, not so that they would know all this weird stuff or get all these wonderful experiences, but so that they would know Jesus In chapter 2, 
we see they continue to look at these mysteries. And sometimes and Paul talks about a mystery here and the people that were teaching falsely to the Colossians or to the Colossae people. They were talking about all these mysteries that were hidden. And Paul's saying the only mystery that was hidden was in Christ. And now it's been revealed. It says, I think the key verse in chapter 2 of Colossians 2.6 says this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Verse seven says rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And Paul tries to emphasize here, I think, the key verse saying, as you receive Christ, the same way that you trusted Christ is the same way that you walk in him. It's through faith day after day, following the Savior, believing in him. But for a lot of people, that wasn't enough. They wanted more. They wanted something else to build on it. And so in chapter 2, Paul goes on and he says, and even in in verse 10 of chapter 2, that you're fulfilled in Christ. That's everything that you need is in Christ. He goes on and he says he's going to triumph over these evil powers. And then he goes on and he says in verse 16 of chapter 2, don't let anybody pass judgment or don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anybody disqualify you by basically telling you of these visions and all these different worshiping of angels, the different things that would stir up emotions. Don't let that be the thing that would change you. Let it be Christ. And it says in chapter or in the end of chapter two uh, that these have the appearance of wisdom, but they're worthless. So when we get to our passage in chapter three. And Paul says this in chapter three, verse one, Colossians three, one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will will appear with him in glory. I want you to understand today, and we're going to, I think I jumped ahead in one of the slides, but the theme of the text and what what we're going to see today is that we must focus on the eternal, not the temporal. If you have been risen with Christ, or since you have been risen with Christ, fix your affections on the eternal, not the temporal. Our mind must be set on things above, things of Christ, and not on this earth. And that's what we're going to look at today. But I have a question, and Paul kind of starts it off this way in the passage in verse 1. If you look in the translation in chapter, verse, or chapter 3, verse 1, it says these two words, if then. Then he goes on and he says, if you have been raised with Christ. And those, those words, if then, could be translated since. In fact, the NIV and the New Living Translation uh, translates it since. And there's really an emphasis. Paul is saying uh, he's writing the book to believers and saying, so since you have been risen with Christ... He's telling them, do this. There also is a conditional statement, I think, or or kind of a flare to this, that there's a question in here. If you have been raised with Christ, and I would even ask you now, have you been raised with Christ? Do you have new life in Christ? Paul begins this passage, and it's very clearly for Christians. But if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior... You shouldn't look for other things. You shouldn't look for some sign, vision, or dream, or experience. But you should look for Jesus, who gives his salvation freely as a gift. He says, all you need to do is accept him as Savior. Repent of your sin and confess him as Lord. 
It's very simple, but yet many times our feelings and how we are as humans, we want to perform. We want to do. We want to make something of ourselves. And so we don't think about salvation as a free gift. We sometimes want to earn it. But Christ was given to us freely and his grace is given freely. So accept it and trust in Christ and repent of your sins, knowing that only Christ can forgive you. And if you have acknowledged him as your savior, wonderful. But if you've never trusted Christ, I want you to understand a few things about it. Salvation is wonderful and it is free, but it's also very costly. And that may seem very mixed when you say salvation is free, but it's costly. Salvation is free and we trust Christ to accept it. But it's also costly in that when we submit to Christ as our king and as our Lord, it may cost us friends. Or it may cost us influences because people don't like that we've submitted to Christ as our king instead of other things. So the decision is sometimes costly, but it's so important and it's so urgent. Because if we don't trust Christ as our Savior, our life, our eternal life, will be spent apart from God in hell. So we must trust Christ today. We must trust Him for our eternal life. And so I'd encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ, do so today. And Paul starts out out this passage with that clause, if then you've trusted Christ. And so if you've trusted Christ, the rest of this passage is what we're looking at. This is the rest of it is what we need to see. And if you've never trusted Christ, that's the most important thing that you hear today. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, then focus on the eternal. He says that in verses uh, one and two says, if seek these things in the second part of uh, verse one, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul gives us an exhortation to believers. He says for us to set our minds on things that are above. To seek things. And he's giving very clear commands. And so if you're reading, the, uh, anytime you're reading the New Testament or Scripture, and you see a command, something like this, seek or set your mind. These are kind of things that you may want to highlight or explanation point. This is what God wants us to do. If we're a believer, this is how we follow him. And he says, the first thing I want you to do is focus on the eternal by having the correct desires. By having the correct desire. What you seek after. You need to have the correct desire. The first exhortation would tell us that the things that we want, the pleasures, the things that we often spend our time looking after in this world are not the things that we should be seeking after. We should be seeking after things that are above, things that are more important. Often our life is spent wondering about when is where is the next uh, vacation going to come in my calendar? When am I going to get the next raise? Should I go for more education? How can I get more money? Can I get a better job or position? What are my kids' jobs going to look like? How do I spend everything and working to get them to have a wonderful life? And our minds are focused on so much of what goes on here on this earth. And very little thought goes into what Christ has done and what is being done for eternity. Let me encourage you to cement your thoughts on Christ, our Savior, and that everything else in your life, whether it be your job, your family, your finances, whatever it is, all of that gets built on the foundation of Jesus. What does Jesus want me to do? What is most important to him? 
And how, how does that determine what I do? Will what I do today, tomorrow, the next weeks, the next years, will this please Christ and bring Him glory? And think on it that way. And so your mindset is seeking Christ's glory in everything that you do. But often, our mind is focused on how will this impact my life, my pleasure, my joy, my experiences. Many of you may uh, follow the NFL, and uh, you may follow wonderful teams like the Cowboys who won last night in preseason, but it's not a big deal, but still, a win is a win, you know, and if you're a Cowboys fan, you take those. You may have known of a guy named Tom Brady. Uh, Possibly uh, you may feel like he's the worst quarterback of all time, but also many would feel like he's the greatest of all time. Plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Done incredible things in football. If you turn on the TV on a Sunday afternoon, you may see his face, uh, not on the football field, not only on the football field, but on every commercial. And you may think, man, what an incredible life. What an incredible guy. Played football for so many years. I mean, just really dedicated. So dedicated he has his own food brands and all those things. You think about it, when he comes before the throne of Christ, what will he say to the Savior? And I don't know Tom Brady's spiritual status. But if he said something to Jesus like this, well, I was the best quarterback to ever play in the NFL. I won hundreds of games, numerous Super Bowls, MVPs. Jesus, please understand I was the best ever at throwing an oblong shaped leather ball. None of that will be one of any of importance standing before our Savior. You make an illustration, an example of a famous star, and I'm not trying to put him down or anything. But really, we can understand how foolish that would be if that was our life, live for that goal. But many times, in our own churches, in our own lives, we live our lives seeking after things of this earth. And not things that will bring Christ glory and things that are eternal. And so let me encourage you to seek after things that are eternal. Things that are important. Things that are above. Matthew 6.33 says it this way. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Over and over through the Scriptures, we see the emphasis of following God first and worrying about everything second. It says in verse three or verse 1 there, it says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And it's really an emphasis of who Jesus is. Jesus, our Savior, with God in heaven, who is God, he is our Savior. He's at the privileged position of royalty and honor. And again, as I said in this book, many people had been telling the Colossians, Christ isn't enough. And, and Paul is kind of just tacking it on right here and saying, seek those things above. Seek those things of eternal importance where Christ is. And he puts an emphasis. Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's in heaven. He is enough because he is king. And so if you're seeking after other things, realize you're seeking after things that are secondary, things that are below, things that are not worth it. So focus on our Savior. Focus on the eternal and not just things on this earth. And it says in verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on this earth. This is really tough to have the correct mindset. We, we need to have the correct desires because what our desires are, what our mind thinks, those are the things that we usually do. 
what our desires are and what we think about, that's the person that we are. But it's difficult to have a correct mindset. In fact, I would say that probably one of the biggest battles that we face as believers is the battle of our mind. The battle of our mind being controlled by God. Probably if you're like me, you have all kinds of thoughts that go through your mind that sometimes are good, bad, ugly, evil. Even when we think about people that we care about and love, sometimes we think about them in evil ways. Instead of thinking the best, as 1 Corinthians tells us to, love thinks the best or thinks no evil. We think evil constantly of somebody. We put them down. We think maybe how they're trying to get at us. And our mind is a battleground. In fact, most of the counseling I've done is over people being anxious or struggling in the mind with pornography or certain things. And our battleground is not just sometimes on uh, like physical that we actually see, but it's actually in our mind. And so Paul emphasizes this and he says this many times throughout Scripture. He talks about the importance of our mind. He says, have them set have your mind set on things that are above. If you look through Christian bookstores and certain things, you would see many books that address many different issues. But sometimes we don't read about how our mind should be controlled and fascinated with Jesus. In fact, our mind is often uncontrolled. It's just wandering. But if we feel, we feel like if we look good on the outside, if everybody sees us and we look good and we're wearing the right thing, our shirt's in the right place, We have the right pen, we drive the right car, our house is cleaned, we take out the garbage and mow our lawn like a good neighbor, and everybody sees us, and they see us go to church on Sunday, maybe they'll think, hey, that guy's a good guy. That lady has it all together. And that's not necessarily what God worried about all the time. Would you turn over to Matthew 23? Matthew 23. Matthew 23:25 says this. Matthew 23:25. Just think when he's reading this, was Christ worried about the outside or what's in our minds and in our hearts? Matthew 23:25 says, "Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence." You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, the cup and the plate, that you uh, that the outside may also be clean. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And he goes on talking about that, condemning the Pharisees. The Pharisees looked better than anybody. They, to the society, looked like the perfect people, like they had it together. Everything was going great. And Christ comes in and basically gives them this zinger to them and says, Look, you're like a dead man's tomb. You look good on the outside, but you're completely lifeless. You're filthy. Why was that? It wasn't because... Only they had a mind that was filthy and terrible. It's because they were dead. They had no life with Christ. They had not trusted him. But he was also making an emphasis clearly that their heart was problematic. What they thought about, what their mind was, was problematic. Their life was terrible because they were evil on the inside. 
I'd encourage you today. You may struggle with your mind. You may be a believer that's struggling. I'd encourage you to work on that. Encourage you as we go through a couple things to think about that. But if you're somebody that struggles in your mind and your heart, and you're trying to just look good and you've never trusted Christ, you're like this Pharisee with a dead man or basically dead on the inside. So trust Christ today and have new life and then set your mind on things above. It's like, I don't know if you've ever had a binoculars or, a, or maybe you've grabbed a telescope. If you, if you have that and you have those instruments and you, and you have them out of order, I mean, like my binoculars for hunting have to be certain there. You, know, you have to be turned certain ways to actually see the right way a couple hundred yards off. And I hand them to my kids, and what happens when I get them back, I can't see anything, right? It's blurry. It's out of focus. We're looking at the wrong things. It's how our mind is oftentimes because we're sitting here focused on other things. We're trying to turn the dials and find something that's clear. And Paul's saying, focus on Christ. Set your mind on Him. Dwell on Him in His Word. Prioritize Him. As we continue through chapter 3 in the following months, we'll see some of these struggles that people had with anger and lust and worry and pride. Many of those things started in the mind. So how do we change our temporal thoughts to a heavenly focus? How do we focus on the eternal? Well, I think one, regulate the input on your mind. Regulate what comes into your mind. The things that are coming into your mind, social media, movies, TV, maybe you still listen to the radio, music, whatever it may be, what's coming into your mind and feeding your soul? If you're not regulating those things and they're coming in unfiltered, It's difficult for our minds to be focused on Christ when they're consumed with everything else. I tell you, it's difficult to try and focus on this world and still say, Jesus, I'm going to focus on you. Really, we can't serve those two masters. We have to focus solely on Christ. A heavy dose of worldly influences are not going to be a helpful input in your mind. You may say, well, that sounds like rules and legalism. No, it sounds like Paul telling us to set our minds on things above. What do we do? We repent of our former mindset and say, Lord, I've had a mind that's been occupied with this world and not things that are eternal, things that are above. Help me, Lord, to forgive me of that. And Lord, change my mindset to be working towards living for you. And the third thing, I think that's kind of just a helpful point. Reset the input into your mind. What's input in your mind? Reset. You ever have, I mean, your old Nintendo's. The old, those old you know, game boxes, if you couldn't figure out what to do, you just went and pushed that reset button, right? And now on your phone, if you can't figure out, it's all frozen up. You just hold that button long enough until it like restarts. And you're like, oh, man, it came back and it worked again. Or it never turns back on. And you're like, oh, bummer. Now I've got to go to the Verizon store. That reset is really what we need in our minds sometimes. And just say, Lord, I may need to take a break from movies, Netflix, social media, my phone. I may need to just take a break from that because that consumes me. And I need that myself because it can consume me and I know it can. And start inputting what goes into your mind with Scripture. Maybe start memorizing Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Maybe you memorize Romans 12, 1 and 2. Maybe you read this verse and memorize this so you know what to think on. It says Philippians 4, 8. 
read Philippians 4, 8 and maybe memorize it. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's any thing worthy of praise, think about these things. That's what Paul tells us to think about. I can tell you when my I'm negative, complaining, frustrated, upset, disappointed in people, not thinking good about them. It's probably because part of it is my, my mind hasn't been dwelling on Scripture, but instead on other things and worried about everything. Dwell on Scripture. Focus on the eternal and not temporal. The Word of God will never fail. It's everlasting. Christ, our Savior, is everlasting. Dwell on those things. You may say, I don't know what to seek. I don't know to what to set my mind on. It says things above. The only thing eternal in this room is the Word of God and our souls. These chairs one day will be burnt up. This building will one day have no use. But the importance is the Word of God and the souls of the people around us. Invest in those things. Invest in the things that are going to be eternal, that are going to be one day with Christ in glory. And think about Him who reigns above. And so we focus on the eternal, not just the temporal. Let's go on to verse 3 and 4 and finish out this chapter, or finish out these verses. Verse 3, it says this in, in Colossians 3 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also will appear, uh, then you also will appear with him in glory. You died with Christ, so live for Christ, because in the future you will be with Christ. Let me say that again. It's a long third point. You died with Christ, so live for Christ because in the future you will be with Christ. Really, if you look at this passage, when we talk about salvation, we talk about glorification, sanctification, justification. Really, this passage talks about all of those things. It says in the first part of verse 1, it says, If you then have been raised with Christ. And then it goes on in verse 3, it says, For you have died. And Paul's kind of connecting these things, okay? So he's telling us right about our resurrection with Jesus, but he's also telling us in verse 3 about our death. The death that we died, our old nature, our old self, the fact that when we trust Christ as our Savior, that old person is dead, and we, he, gives us, he tells us we're a new creation. And so we're, we're now with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And so that aspect of salvation... When we're justified and now we're being sanctified and one day we'll be glorified is all talked about in this passage. And he says, you died with Christ, so live for Christ. We're dead to our old sinful self. And we're going to see that in the rest of this passage. He's going to talk about put off these old things, put off these things that should be dead and put on these things that now should be things that classify you as a follower of Christ. But he also makes a very clear play on words. Remember I said the false teachers, they were talking about things that were hidden, things that this hidden knowledge, right? Sometimes we actually like to read those things that are mysteries. I love Sherlock Holmes. I love a good mystery. But sometimes almost that's how our Christianity is, something that can't be attained. We're always people sometimes complain and want more. I'm not experiencing enough. If I could just get to this point, and it's almost like Jesus is hiding things from us, but yet it's right here in front of us. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. That's what Paul says is hidden. 
what's hidden with with Christ is actually our life. And he's making them emphasis. He's saying believers have a common spiritual life with the father and with God. Our life is hidden with God. The world can't understand the significance of our life, of the new life. People don't understand how good it is to have our life hidden with Christ. Why? Why is it important that our life is hidden with Christ? Because it is the safest place that our eternal security rests. You may wonder, am I truly saved? Well, if you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Christ and he's forgiven you, you're a believer. And you may say, well, how do I stay saved? What if I lose my salvation? Well, Paul says here, your life is hidden with Christ in God. I can't think of a place to put anything that would be that, a place that would be more secure than with Christ in God. My life, my eternal security is with Christ in God. It's protected from all spiritual enemies. And yet, since my life is hidden in Christ with God, I have access to all spiritual blessings, all the goodness. A treasure is safest when it's hidden from robbers and thieves. And our salvation is secure from anyone that might try to destroy us. You may wonder, how do I keep my life saved? If you're a Christian, it is set and secure in Jesus. I mean, if I had to put, you know, my life savings, which is, you know, not much, an old Dodge Ram and, you know, a broken down, you know, Ford Flex sometimes, I mean, those kind of things. If I had to put them somewhere safe, I may say, call up Fort Knox and say, hey, can I put this in the vault? And they'd be like, that? Ah, I guess, right? Yeah, they probably they wouldn't take it. You know, where could we put the most valuable thing we have? The most valuable thing I have is my eternal life with Christ. And where can I put it? Well, Christ has it. He has it secured in Him. And so if you wonder, how do I stay saved? Well, you stay connected to Jesus, and He has you. He has you hidden with Him in God. And it's almost a shot across the bow to those false teachers and saying, hey, you say you have all these hidden things and these books and all this hidden knowledge and these, these special days, experiences, visions. And Christ is saying, no, the thing that's hidden is your eternal life with me. And one day it will be revealed, as he says in verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we may not see our hidden life with Christ. We may not see our eternal security. We know it's there. We may not see our future life and our resurrection. But one day our lives will be revealed. We will be revealed with Christ. And he will say, these are mine. And what a glorious day it will be that we get to be revealed with Christ says in 1 John 3.2, 1 John 3.2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. That revelation, that hidden knowledge, one day of us being Christ's treasure possession and being with Him will be the most glorious day. We will get to be with our treasured Savior. But incredibly, our Savior treasures us. And there will be a day that we get to be with Him. For me to live as Christ is what Paul said. 
And years before, when he was writing to the Galatians, he said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Paul was so focused on his relationship and his life with Christ that that's what it was. He said he basically saw it as this to the Christian. Christ is the most important thing in life more. Christ is life. He says it in that verse. Christ, who is your life? You may say something like. You know, have a shirt that shows up to open gym tonight that says something. Ball is life. Yeah, it is to some. You may see a shirt when you go to the hunting expo that says hunting is life. Fishing is life. Whatever it is that you love is life. Paul says in this verse, Christ, who is your life? Christ is life. Is he the air you breathe? Is he what you focus on? Is Christ and pleasing him what your life is about? Or would you say, no, my life is wrapped up in my job. My life is my family. My life is my kids. No, our life should be wrapped up in Christ. One day we will see Christ and we will be revealed. And in the light of that cross, the world's wealth and ambitions and the activities that are seen at, will be seen at their value. And the Christian should be able to set our mind and our life on Christ. Because when we peel away everything else on this earth, it's really pointless and worthless unless it's done for Christ and His glory. I finish with this. There's a story that's been told about the famous hymn writer, Fanny Crosby who gave us more than 8,000 gospel songs. Incredible. She was blind at the age of six weeks, but yet she never held any bitterness in her heart because of it. And it's told, the story is told, that one, one preacher sympathetically said, I think it is a great pity that the Master did not give you sight when he showered so many gifts upon you. And Fanny Crosby quickly replied, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I should be born blind? She says, my wish wouldn't have even been for six weeks of sight, but that I would be born blind. And the preacher, obviously curious, says, why would that be? And she said, it's told, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. What a focus. Maybe that's why she was able to write 8,000 hymns. Maybe that's why she was able to focus on what would be in the future. What a glorious thought that one day we get to see our Savior. But in the here and now, we're going to go home and we're going to work on things. I have to work this week. You probably have to go to work this week or school. And all these different things will flood into our minds of what has to happen. But let me encourage you and preach this to myself. Keep Christ at the focus. Let all those things be subject to Christ and his glory. Even praying constantly and saying, Lord, may you be glorified in what I do today, in my job, in my school, in my family. May you have the preeminence, the first place. May my mind be set on things that are eternal and not the temporal. Since you've been risen with Christ, will you have a risen life with Christ? Set your or fix your affections on the eternal, not the temporal. Let our mind be focused on him. As we pray, I encourage you, if you have to repent of your mind, possibly focus on this world. Do that. God is ready to forgive. 
If you need to trust Christ, I'd encourage you to do that. You can ask me or another believer here, and we'd love to show you how to trust Christ. And if you want to say, Lord, help me focus on you more, that's a prayer probably many of us are praying, and you're not alone. So let's pray that together. Lord, as we even notice as a compass constantly faces north, I pray, Lord, that we would be like that constantly looking to you, that we would look towards Christ and what he has done in the past, what he's doing now, and what he will do in the future. Lord, may our minds be set on you. May our affections be set on you. And that, Lord, that we would seek the eternal and not the temporal. Lord, there are so many distractions that we have. So many things that pull away from us. So many things that, uh, that, that want us to look at that instead of you and your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that we would make a concerted effort to look at you. And Lord, when we fail, as we have and I have many times, I pray that we would surrender and submit to you and ask for forgiveness. And that we would come to that throne and we would seek the grace and mercy that you are so ready to freely give over and over and over again. Lord, you are such a good God. Thank you, Lord, for being a beautiful Savior that we can worship. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to honor you to give you the glory and praise. I pray, Lord, that you would be magnified in our lives, that our minds would be set on you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.